and welcome to Abnormal Mapping, episode 61. I'm your host, M, and with me is a regular co-host, Jackson. Hello. And this is the first episode coming to you from a new RSS feed and a new website, Jackson. It is. It is. We do have to do that, don't we? Yep. Uh, in between now and when this podcast launches on Friday, because we're recording on Sunday, we need to switch over the RSS, because I am canceling Libsyn before the first, so... It's got to be done. Yep. The website is ready to go. It, like The files are uploaded. Yeah, I know. I'm very Everything excited. Everything is there. So if you type in abnormal mapping, and hopefully if you're subscribed, like this should all just happen. You won't have to worry about it. Like That's entirely the plan. Um, but who knows, right? Uh, yes, uh, I have taken a look at the behind the scenes on iTunes, and they have changed the way that works. It seems very easy. You just put in the new, the new feed, and it'll read that one instead. So there should be no change in terms of... Um, rss uh or podcasts subscription app whatever um, there might be a short period where you go to the website and it looks very unfinished or whatever from the fact that we are transferring domains and moving everything over that way but it'll be a very light period of disruption yeah because you know we're using um <clears throat> squarespace <laughs> oh build it beautiful yes you should <laughs> I, I think it's hilarious that everyone knows every fucking slogan of Squarespace for anyone who's been listening to podcasts for more than five minutes. It's insane that they still advertise on anything. I mean, they've been advertising on podcasts literally for, God, at least six years. Yeah. It's at the point where like it's like Coca-Cola, where if, if they stop, you're like, why isn't there a, a Squarespace ad in this podcast? But yeah. they don't need it because everyone already knows. Yeah, no, but you know, you want to support. I mean, like they like they probably have podcasts built on their platform, so they want to pay. Like I, podcast ads ads are cheap too, so you can just get podcasters to do your thing. And like, why wouldn't you subscribe, right? It's true. Uh, I don't know. I I I think it's good that they keep uh keep doing that. Like, it's not like Audible where it's like a big corporation. And you're like, oh, whatever. They just advertise wherever they can. Um. The Squarespace ones feel deliberate, in a way. Yeah. You They should. know the exact kind of nerds that are going to be listening to podcasts, and it's the people that want to build websites. Uh, yep. Or the people who don't want to build websites and want That's... websites built for them. <laughs> oh, I've, I've heard that it makes it fast and easy. Jackson, has it been fast and easy? DraftKings. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> No, it has not been fast and easy at all. Ah, the website design part was, like, I was gonna do actual website designing, but because they have, um, like, templates that are really strict, uh, <laughs> changing them makes it look terrible. I would have to, like, manually do the actual manual designing part. They don't have, like, alternate templates. So we've gone with the default look. It seems fine. And then I had to upload over 100 podcasts to the server. This is, our, uh, this is our ad read. They have strict templates that if you change anything about them, they break and look terrible. <laughs> please use the offer code <laughs> mapping at checkout. Yep. Uh, please use the offer code abmap. <laughs> uh, you know I hate when you say abmap, right? Abmap. No, oh, I hate you so much. <laughs> it's hard it's to one say of those. It's one of those Britishisms, like fucking Menchies, that I just cannot abide. Okay, all right. I want every single one of you to write in to podcast at abnormalmapping dot com. Uh, I was about to say add us on Twitter, but that'll annoy M. Yep. Uh, and confirm that Menchies is not a Britishism. It is it's like a Britishism. An, uh, it is not a Britishism. It's like a ironic leftist Twitterism. It's like a Chapo Trap House joke. 
Mm-hmm. It's that. It's that's that's where it's come from. No, no one. No, it's in the like UK Twitter's version of naughties, which is also an annoying Britishism I hate. That is a hundred percent annoying Britishism. I have no defense there. Yeah. I don't know. Jackson, uh, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mothering Sunday. <laughs> we can't. Okay, we can't bring in the conversation we just had to the podcast. Yes, we can. That's what podcasts are for. That's true. If you hear my straw, sorry, I'm finishing off this uh, icy I bought at Taco Bell. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, if we hear the straw. No, oh, yeah, then I slurp. I, I'm, it's done. I'm switching over to this beer I opened. Ooh, oh. Risky. It's Sunday. I can do what I want. That's true. I'm not going to stop you. I'm the sober one here. One beer is not going to make me not sober. I just meant I don't drink. You're the teetotaler here. That's different. That's, yeah, no. That's me. (laughs) I'm sure I'd be fine. What if I'm a really insufferable drunk? Who knows? We'll find out one day, maybe. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. I mean... If you if you ever decide to change that, you absolutely should live tweet your experience so we can all tell you what kind of drunk you are. I will a hundred percent let the people online know what like I'm not against drinking. Like I was scared about it as a, a kid being like, Oh, thing changing how I feel weird just as a general uh like phobia of drugs as an idea. But I've like, taken antidepressants and stuff, like I I'm fine with it as a concept. So now I just don't do it because I don't know why I would and it's expensive. You drink soda, right? Yeah, like it's the same thing. Yeah. I am grumpy and then I have some food and then I'm less grumpy. Like it's magic. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh yeah. So what have you been up to lately? Not much. It's been it's been a time over here. Uh, a little stressed about work. Uh, beat the Final Fantasy. Playing some games on my phone. What are you? What are you uh, playing? That's good. I mm, well, I am playing a uh, newly released video game. Have a newly released video game to talk about. That's right. I came prepared. Uh, Type Shift, which mm-hmm. I know you like. Yeah, it's fine. It annoys um, me no end. I'm just because I'm bad at it. It's why it seems really good. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like I don't really think about good or bad when I'm playing it. I'm like, oh, this is nice. I like making the words. Uh, I don't. So I am uh, famously for someone who likes to read and write things. I really don't like word games. Like I hate Scrabble. I hate Boggle. Uh, it's just not for some reason they just don't click with me. Uh, the only other uh, word game I like is iOS game Seven Words, which is a very old iOS game that everybody should play, uh, where you just get a bunch of letters and you have to assemble words out of them. I don't know. It's good. It, people should play it. It's great. It's, it reminds me a lot of Type Shift and uh, Type Shift. Fine. Uh, I haven't bought anything yet because I'm just slowly working through the. Free puzzles. I should buy something just to get rid of the ads because they're super obnoxious. Um, but uh, it's fine. I don't know. Like people are like really into it. I think it's like a nice time waster when I have like thirty seconds to kill. I'm not like in love with it or anything. Uh, yeah, my experience with it has been to load up a puzzle, find one word, and then just look at it for about half an hour and find nothing. Um, so the thing. The so thing bad. is. If you find one core word, you can kind of look at the letters that are left, and the other core words basically are all lined up for you. Very neat. Well, no, I, I I know that. Like, that is definitely how you are meant to do it. If you find one that is, like, everything, and then you scroll down, and you're like, oh, okay, these are the letters that haven't been used yet. It's going to be one of these. Uh, like, I see the ways in which it becomes a puzzle game which you can use your brain to, like, minimize the random guessing aspect. Yep. But... 
I'm just too shit at it for that to. Like, I've also an I've also brute forced permutated words before, which took forever. Uh, yep. I weirdly got stuck on finding the word deleted once, and I literally sent that went in through all the permutations, just an automatic. So like even the ones that didn't make any grammatical sense, I was just going through literally every combination until I landed on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was dumb and embarrassing. Is when I got the word, I'm like, oh, deleted. Well, great. I, my brain just doesn't work. Yep. No, the the moment where you find the word always feels like a oh fuck, of course I know that word rather than a, oh yes, I got it. I've solved the puzzle. This is a great feeling. But I've also done the the delightful thing where I solve puzzles without getting any of the core words, which is always fun. That's always good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I I um haven't clicked with that game like many others have. I just it's clearly uh, designed for a brain that isn't my own, uh, which I think is a shame. But it's cool. I like. Um, Is that like, all you played in the month since we last talked? I, I mean, I played another iOS game. I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I've played all these games, and I'm here to talk about them. I'm not doing this. <laughs> Jackson, tell the people what you're not talking about. <laughs> I fucking played all the Metal Gear games again. Oh, you know what the thing you could do? So if you go back in our archives, there are episodes about all of the Metal Gear Solid games, one through yes. five. Um, yes. Talk to me a little bit about Metal Gear 2. Uh, the video game for the MSX? Yes. Yes. Okay. So as part of this, what I wanted to do was go, I just had the idea because I'm an idiot of, I should play these games again. I like them. I wanted to play them on hard and I wanted to like play them as video games. So I also played... Uh, the MSX games, the bonus versions in the HD edition, and they're really good. Both, um, I think I prefer uh, Metal Gear One more than I do um, Metal Gear Two because that's just where my uh, like interest in those games are. But they're both really good. They are identical uh, to the three D games that would come later and become uh, huge successes, at least until three. Uh, they are the same game. They are, you go through a thing, you shoot a guy, you avoid a guy, and you get a key card, right? And you, the key card allows you to get into a different room that you couldn't get into before. But in that room is an item that you need to kill a boss. Zelda. <laughs> Zelda, yeah, indeed. Even at a time when Zelda got rid of all this, you were going back to the games where it existed. It's it's really interesting how much of the first one is literally just a Zelda clone, but without an overworld. Like, it's mm-hmm. the exact same thing. It's all the things I like about Zelda 1, uh, but, like, taking a different design direction and evolution than Zelda went in, which was far more, like, um, what's the word? Like, you know, I've been playing Ocarina of Time alongside this hilariously without meaning to, uh, and that game will just give you a tutorial that says, here, do this to do the thing, and then you do the thing, and there's always only one thing you can do. Uh, whereas... The stuff I like about this series, which holds true in the NES, uh, the NES games, the MSX games, is the like poking at the space, the um, different key cards and items revealing themselves, which reveal more paths, which reveal more of the space. Like I, I love that loop of game design, and I'm sad it's kind of gone away, uh, as numbers have existed more, and you level up things to unlock things now rather than exploring. Uh. But nah, that's it. Also, another thing that we both had when looking at footage of Metal Gear 2 is that MSX games look fucking weird. Yeah, no, I uh, I commented that they look like DSiWare games. Like, specifically, I was thinking of like Dark Void Zero, which is like modern game designers trying to make a faux 8-bit game, and it just ends up being like too high resolution uh, because 
the MSX as like a actual like it's like an actual computer, right? Yes, it's a full-on yeah. computer. Uh, because of that, like it it's from the era of eight-bit games, but was capable of more. So it just ends up looking disingenuous in a way that like a lot of faux retro games do now, even though it came by it much more honestly. Yeah, it's a very strange aesthetic. Uh, I like it quite a bit, um, but it's it's weird. It's I I recommend playing those games. I thought I would need to like look up stuff in a guide, but apart from one very very stupid boss fight at the end of the first game you totally don't have to uh, wherein a character tells you 15 steps to defeating a boss and then leaves out the 16th step which you have to guess what is the 16th step i think it's right but it might what be is, left what is the 36th chamber of shaolin uh good it's no. good. I, I mean, yes, the movie's good, <laughs> but specifically the movie is about the 36th Chamber. I've not seen the 36th Chamber of Shaolin. Well, you should probably fix that. I know! What have you been up to? So, uh, I played Pillars of Eternity. Uh, we mentioned it last episode, but I was like, I'd like to get a little further, and I have since completed it and its expansion, The White March. Uh... Pillars of Eternity, if you didn't know, was uh, developed by Obsidian. Um, it was a Kickstarter game meant to be like, oh, we're going to make another Baldur's Gate-style game uh, if you kickstart it, and they did, and so they did. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, it's a PC game. Uh, that does that that one doesn't have a console version, right? Mm, no, weirdly, because all the other ones do. Yeah. Um, and in Pillars, uh, you're like a created character... Uh, the basic plot is you stumble across this like hooded figure running this mystical contraption. And what it does is it awakens you, which means uh, like the world operates in like a karmic wheel. And suddenly you're aware of your past life that is tied to the guy who's running this machine. And being aware of your past life will slowly drive you crazy. But in the window where it's opened, you can also now see into other people's past lives. And you use that ability to try to track this guy down and get it him to reverse whatever happened to you before you die. And uh, in doing so, confront, uh, like, just, like, all of the metaphysical stuff you want out of a CRPG. There's a lot of questions about determinism and fate and the soul. And there's a lot of talking to people, just reams and reams of text. It's one of those games. Uh, if you've played Planescape, and you should, you should go back to our Planescape Torment episode and listen to that. Uh, it's very similar to that. Um, I think it's a really good game. It's really thoughtful. Uh, it's, like... I know that they sell it as, like, we're going to make Baldur's Gate, but I know that they went out of their way to put more, like, philosophical meandering in this as opposed to Baldur's Gate, which is much more of a strict D&D kind of setting. Uh, and that's, I feel like all of these games that came after Planescape ended up having to do that. Uh, and I enjoyed it a lot. It's a really good game. I uh, highly recommend it. Um, if you play it, play the expansion, and play the expansion somewhere in the middle, like around Act 2, um, because... I played it at the end of the game, and that was the wrong choice. Uh, that is clearly not meant to be a play-it-after-the-story's-over kind of expansion and meant to be folded into the world, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but, yeah, it's good. Uh, there's a sequel coming out, and I'm excited for that. Uh, I don't want to talk too many specifics because Jackson hasn't played it and tends to at some point. Um, but that's a great game. I, I recommend playing it and cheating the hell out of it. That's what I did. That's what we did with Planescape. It's the way to play these games because who wants who wants to pause and do tactical combat for hours on end? Not me. I'm busy. It's true. Uh, you were, as you were playing that game, you were on Skype with me and relaying, uh, specifically in the expansion. The expansion was the only like specifics I got. Um, 
and so I remain kind of pure on the main game in terms of what I know. But the the way that it gets into like hilarious folding in on itself, gods versus gods versus like extinction and free will and a bunch of other concepts just uh, folding in on themselves in order to create this ridiculous uh, conflict for which you have to like decide who is in the right is very CRPG and uh, all the stuff that uh, I want out of those games. Yep. It's a good game. Uh, I recommend it. Uh, if you cheat and play it on easy and, you know, heal your party whenever you want. Uh, I think I played through that in the expansion in like 22 hours. It wasn't a, it wasn't a huge commitment. So the Witcher three, this is not, thank God. No, <laughs> no it's not. It is <laughs> hot takes here at a normal mapping. Pillars of eternity is not the Witcher three. Yeah, no, I meant that in a positive way, even though I like The Witcher 3, but Witcher 3 took me 70 hours, and fuck that. I I don't have that kind of time in my life. The Witcher 3 took you 70 hours? Yeah. And you didn't even, like, do the combat stuff in that game in, t- in the way that people who actually turned that game all the way up did. Yeah, no, it's a big game. There's a lot of stuff to do. I mean, like, that includes both expansions, and I did pretty much everything that was, like, a main or side quest. Like, I didn't do all of the, like, fodder quests, but I did everything that had story content tied into it. Oh, I know. I just have no uh, real scale, apart from that number, I guess, for how big that game is, because I know that a lot of people who play it uh, do so with a, like, I am going to hunt this monster, and then scavenge for, uh, like, supplies, and then hunt another monster. Like, the system... uh, wheel of that game is something that has attracted a lot of people so I I know that you can actually just play that game like a video game and get it done in 20 hours if you wanted to. Yeah no the the thing I did in that game and the thing I do for all the Witcher games I highly recommend if you ever play the Witcher games is I would do all that stuff but what I would do is I went in and enabled console commands I could just give myself gold whenever I needed it so I'd go buy out every storekeeper I saw so I always had supplies to make whatever I needed on hand um Mm -hmm. Because the way that The Witcher limits itself more than anything else is you are incredibly gold-limited. So, And that's true for all three games. So if you get rid of that, the games are actually much more approachable. Okay, that makes sense. Cool, cool. Yep. Yeah. So that's it. Um, we're going to get into our main topic here, which is our big game. But uh, we're going to take a short break. And in that break, I have a special audio piece for you that I recorded about Breath of the Wild. Um, I did this like a week ago when I was deepest, or two weeks ago when I was deepest into that game. Um, and uh, I just wanted to talk about it a bit and the cast wasn't really the right place for it. I don't know. Uh, so please enjoy that and come back next after that for uh, talk about Final Fantasy.
So I'm sitting here in the uh, botanical gardens locally and listening to the sound of the birds and people walking by and wanted to talk about Zelda for a little bit. Um, Breath of the Wild, the newest game from Nintendo. Everyone's talking about it. If you're on Twitter, you're probably sick and you're not playing it. Or even if you are, you might be sick of people talking about it. But I'm here to talk about it a little bit because I've been playing it. None of the other uh, abnormal mappers and uh, Jackson uh, has not played it yet so uh, I'm on my own if I want to talk about it in depth and at length then I kind of do maybe not at length but I want to talk about stuff that I don't think Jackson would be comfortable listening to or commenting on um, I want to come here where there's like great nature and good paths and an idea of the space because uh, to me that's what Breath of the Wild really accomplishes that Zelda has not really done um, and people always compare it to the first game, but I think it's much more extensive than that. I think there's an idea that the world is uh, a living, breathing space in a way that, like, you know, as much as Legend of Zelda is a classic game, it can't replicate through its mechanics. Uh, and it does that through, like, basically bamboozling us. Uh, it's it's just a big open space, and there's a lot of those in games, and there's been a lot of those even this year in games. But what Zelda does is lay over that space such a concentration of ideas and mechanics uh, that are unscripted, that are about interactions of physics and uh, possibilities of mystery that even if they don't pan out or even if they do pan out and the uh, rewards are paltry like a couple Boca Blend weapons or a Korok seed, you're not exactly like jumping for joy at those but it imbues the space with such a possibility that represents what I think like being out in actual nature in the real world is where, you know, um, if it's a space like these gardens, let's take these gardens cause I'm sitting here. Um, I've walked through these gardens like, you know, five or six times in the past year. Uh, and every time, like it's, I know the paths, I know where everything is. I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm going to see, but every time from the depth of winter to now when spring is, uh, not quite here, but burgeoning, uh, you see something a little different. You see like a plant that you hadn't seen before. You see a tree that's flowering uh, too early because of climate change, but flowering nonetheless. Uh, and the thing that I find really magical about Zelda is it's a space where you always will find those things. And they feel, despite their placement by human hands and despite their like really elegant design, they, f they have a verisimilitude that belies their design nature. And that, that's the only thing that can, that's one of those things that can only come through good design. Uh, it has to be painstakingly laid out by hand to be real, right? And so when you come across like a ruin and you, you do it and are rewarded with a shrine erupting out of the sand or you climb a giant mountain only to be confronted by a valley below where Overhead, a giant stone bird circles a terrified village of bird people. Um, whether it's the big things or the small things, like a beautiful horse in a glade, or like lightning striking mechanical monsters out to kill you. Uh, the, the special thing about Zelda is that you get a sense of a world that feels real in a way that video games don't feel real uh, often. A design that has intentionality, but a sort of randomness and willingness to bore you and not just bore you but not reward you which is maybe the more interesting choice to make as a video game uh the choice to not be constantly providing feedback that enforces your place and superiority in the world to not give you options where you feel a master of your domain 
even when you're competent in Zelda, you feel like the world is mostly indifferent to you, and there's a power to that uh, for a game that is so systemic, that is so based on its mechanics, that feels very special. Um, Zelda's not, like, the greatest game ever made, and it, it honestly doesn't actually change that much about what Zelda represents, and I don't think I'd ever want a sequel to it, but for this year, in this time, this type of game feels really special uh, and really speaks to me and my sensibilities these days as I try to feel better about being out in the natural world and uh, remember what it's like to be an embodied person in it and with all the foibles and weaknesses that represents. Uh, so I sit here in this very designed space meant to feel like you're communing with nature even though there's a thousand placards and designed gardens and wall, stone walls and things that are clearly unnatural. Um, but I'm looking at this robin uh, bouncing along in front of me and uh, thinking about, you know, how real a fake space can be if you're willing to buy into it. And on some level, isn't that everything that video games try to be? Uh, and if that's the case, then Zelda is one of the biggest successes of all. Game Club this month continues our Final Fantasy adventure, not the game, but the idea with Final <laughs> Fantasy IX. <laughs> I don't know if we've ever driven off a bridge intro-wise as possible. <laughs> it was on purpose. I knew what I was doing. Okay, today's Game Club continues our Final Fantasy saga. <laughs> <laughs> we call um, this adventure in Castlevania games Saga Frontier, not the game, <laughs> but the idea. Of going to the frontier of a saga of playing video games with Mega Man 7. Oh, we continue our Chronicle of the Crystals in the Final Fantasy games. With Tactics Ogre. Let us cling together. Uh, Final Fantasy 9. Final Fantasy 9 is the last PlayStation Final Fantasy. Um, we talked uh, early... or we, Last time we talked about Destiny was going to be joining us. Destiny is not joining us... Uh, Long story short, she was really busy and didn't have time. Uh, she's, like, local famous right now. I don't know. They, she has a lot of comedy going on. So, uh, unfortunately, she's not joining us. She'll be joining us for next time we do one of these Final Fantasy things, though, for sure. Uh, she is promised, and it's a game that she's played before. So, even if she doesn't finish the game, she'll show up and talk about it. Um, but 
Final Fantasy IX, uh, directed by Sakaguchi. This is Sakaguchi's last Final nope. Fantasy. What? Nope. Nope. Really? Nope. No, because right. uh, the the big credits at the start are like directed by Banana, and then it just the big final credit is produced and conceived by. Oh right, right. Sakaguchi's off this. doing Spirits Within at this point. In time. Right, right. But this is like the last one he's like really involved with, right? Yeah, because he just drew a bunch of things that he would then later use for Lost Odyssey that are in this game. Yep. Uh, and this was in part like meant to be like a send off to old Final Fantasy because, uh, you know, like uh, Final Fantasy is really popular and this is the last PlayStation 1. Like they had already announced uh, 10 and 11 because they announced all three games at once. So they knew Final Fantasy was going in bold new directions. And so they're like, let's do one last one for the fans. <sighs> And let's not mention that uh, the fandom also reacted kind of negatively to Final Fantasy VIII, so they wanted to give some people a little more traditional Final Fantasy so they could uh, enjoy a game that wasn't about dumb airships and high-fashion whiny boys before they gave them another game about technological airships and high-fashion whiny boys <laughs> in the tent, um, yeah. because they knew the way the wind was blowing. Um, but yeah, Nine exists. It came out in 2000. It was on the PlayStation. Jackson, you played this mostly on PC, correct? I played it all the way through on PC and then also a little bit on PlayStation, but then I went back to PC. So, yeah. Okay. Um, before we get into the specifics, uh, Jackson, you have a memory. Tell me the plot of Final Fantasy IX. Okay. Fuck. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, hang on. I need to first remember what... It's Alexandria, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, what are the... It's Alexandria, Promethea, and somewhere else. What's the third The third place? Lindblom. Lindblom. Right. Okay. Here we go. So, uh, Zidane is the member of the Tantalus crew. Yep. Who are a crew of actors, but also just thievish, roguish types who kidnap the princess of Alexandria uh, who it turns out wants to be kidnapped but that we'll get to that later uh, and whisk her off back to Lindblom. In the process of such uh, of this attempt they are shot down and forced into an adventure uh, by the queen of Alexandria uh, who is attempting to start a war with the other nations and like consolidate all the power. She is doing this through um, like magic and use of uh, clones of black mages who are one of the parts. Fuck! <laughs> it's really hard! You're gonna keep being silent, that's great. Uh, <laughs> you're the worst! Like, you let me fall off, and then you, like, let me waddle around a bit. And slowly pick myself up and then have to witness the like sad attempt of me to like keep going and then you'd interrupt me and carry on, which no, I see through you. I know what you do. I was right about all the things I said. Yeah, no, but you are the most Vivi right now. And you <laughs> were about TV. to talk about Vivi and then you talked about waddling around sad, not sure what to do other than carry on. And it's the most beautiful life imitating art that I've ever seen. <laughs> Oh, it wasn't even intentional. No, I know. That's why it was beautiful. <laughs> oh, good. Do you have a better summary? 
So yeah, uh, Warring Nations, it turns out that Queen Braun, who is the Queen of Alexandria, is being controlled by Kuja, and your party gets together and discovers that Kuja is pitting everyone against each other in order to like cause as much destruction as possible, which will require people to summon the Eidolons, which are the summons, and he's going to take control of them with his high-tech airship, even though this is like a like steampunky fantasy place because Kuja is actually from a different planet and that planet is called Terra and your planet's called Gaia and his whole plan or he's being sent to like ready for invasion because Terra is like a dying planet that like is well past its prime and they have to ready your planet for being like consumed by Terra which requires all the sleeping citizens of Terra to inhabit all the souls of like everyone in this planet and it's going to go bad and you have to stop it. But secretly, you were meant to do the same thing Kuja was, but it turns out you got lost. And that's why Kuja had to do the job. And it's all about death and resurrection and being scared of dying. Because uh, the actual character that matters the most is Vivi, the Black Mage. And the thing with Black Mages is they're constructed, which means they don't live very long. And Vivi's like, I'm going to die someday and it's scary. And all of my other Black Mages are just discovering what death is and they're all scared. And we're all scared of dying, Vivi. We know. It's okay. Um... We are all VV. Yep. And that's kind of the plot of Final Fantasy IX. It sounds like Final Fantasy, doesn't it? Yeah, the actual, like, broader plot of the whole thing, when you look at it, is just um, very, like... We refined the ideal of what a, a JRPG plot is supposed to be. Like, if you look at how 8 was so specific in its broader strokes with being about like identity and school getting lost like it had all the grand world ending uh you know nihilistic villain type stuff but uh, nine is so much more deliberately like uh archetypal in how it goes about its story like the end of the game you find the big boss and then you needlessly fight another boss who is like another level of god above the the boss for no reason who speaks to you in star wars quotes yeah, no. Uh, so it's just very much um, just one of these games. I came down... I think I'm going to get this out of the way now, because you can tell. I came down kind of negative on it as a whole, even though I love moments of it and I love parts of it, uh, which I think is a shame, because I think there's so much good stuff here, but uh, I find the whole construction to be kind of underwhelming and generic, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yeah, so... Um... The thing that's really interesting here, and like this will require a digression into mechanically how the game is structured, but this is meant to be like the throwback referential Final Fantasy. Like it has a lot of names and locations that come from earlier Final Fantasies, uh, specifically the pre seven ones. Um, but there's some references to seven eight in there. But um, the whole thing is built to be like as much old school as possible. Like your party is four characters again, which hasn't happened since Final Fantasy six, and uh, six has, right? Successful characters, yeah. No, all the yeah. SNES ones do. Okay. Um, I mean, uh, 4 has five character parties. It's very Oh, nice. right. Yeah. Right, yes. Um, uh, but, um, and it, like, it's an ATB system, but it's pretty straightforward. Like, the way you learn abilities is very similar to the, uh, they're not called Eidolons, uh, Magisite. Uh, system in Final Fantasy VI. Who can keep all of these arcane systems straight in terms of terminology? They're all the same thing, really. Um, And, uh, like I said, it's kind of like a steampunky fantasy world where, like, 
everything's like castles and knights and stuff, but there are airships powered by steam. Uh, but the steam is called mist, and it's what creates monsters because it's magical. Because uh, they specifically have a scene where they discuss the difference between steam and mist. Like, this world is powered on mist, which is basically this energy of souls. It's like uh, the byproduct of, like, storing souls in the giant tree that stores souls. Yeah, like, it, it is just a mechanical thing, but it comes from this supernatural place of other technology that is from the planet Tina. And you, um... Sorry. It's <laughs> a deep cut, Jackson. <laughs> I know. I, I was hoping you would, like, not let that sit, but now I have to apologize. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and you, uh... Like, asking, why are things running on this? And you get to Limblum, and they're like, this runs on steam. That, that means that we can use things without there being death like death smoke all around us, which is what mist is, because if you're out for it in air, if you're out in it for too long, monsters appear, which is just a gameplay thing, but they have to explain in the realities of these lives. So if they walk through mists and they just all get attacked instantly. <laughs> is is monsters emerging from the mist better or worse than all the monsters came from the moon in Final Fantasy VIII? It's fucking so much worse. You can't beat all the monsters came from the moon. Yeah, the lunar cry. That part's dumb. <laughs> the part where, he, yeah, I don't know. Look, I'll have. To, I haven't played eight in two. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the PS One cannot handle this game. It is too fucking slow to handle the like four player battle system. Um, the like it takes too long to load up every battle. The rhythm of an old school Final Fantasy game just can't be supported through the like engine and world design that they have here, which yeah. means that it's just kind of dull. Uh, and you realize, oh, all the simplification and like changes they made to seven and eight, they made for very specific reasons that are in your face right now. Yeah, uh, one of the things, especially when we played four, that's like the thing that I think I brought up specifically is four is a blazingly fast game to play. Like, every battle, you're just in it really fast. The ATVs fill up really fast. Like, all of your animations are, like, a second long, and then you're out. You're done. It, like, it's a game that, like, feels the same length as one of these, but is, uh, like, a third of the length just because of how quickly everything moves. And part of that is because, like, everything representationally is much more simple. But that also means you don't have to animate every character, and you don't have to load in a new environment every time a battle happens. And... Like, I think Nine's, like, a really good-looking game. Like, all of the pre-rendered environments are really incredible. Like, there's so much that went into every one of these screens. And there are more screens than other Final Fantasies uh, on this platform. But uh, because of that, like you said, when you especially, like, when you load into battle or when you, like, a spell goes off, it takes forever for everything to happen. Yeah. Like, every time you walk about 20 steps and then it's like... And then you're starting to fight. Like, it takes at least that long, maybe longer, before you fight anything. Um, and it's just too much. It's It can't support that style of play. Like, it's there is a reason that at this point, those kind of RPGs went over to the Game Boy Advance or something. Yeah. Uh, where, by all accounts, I haven't played very many of them, but, like that's where they thrived. Like there is a space for that kind of gameplay and it's not really congruous with, uh, big cutscene driven, massive epic RPGs. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, and to some extent, like that's the problem that RPGs have been trying to solve ever since is, Oh God, we can't, we can't bring these two ideas together without it being incredibly boring. 
Yeah. I mean, like, the amount of cutscenes in this game is, like, impressive to the point where, like, disc one is, like, four or five hours long because most of it is all CG at the very beginning. Yep. It's a very strangely paced game like that. Like, there's so much cutscenes. And the cutscenes are less representational than they were before. Even though 8 had the more realistic character designs, it didn't have, like characters will do a thing and then take out their sword and then that will have a specific foley sound effect and then they'd open a door and then they'd have a conversation like there's so much in this game that is just we didn't put dialogue in it because it's a ps1 game but we've still got scenes that we yeah, no, it, as it's weird because it, it feels like a game that like almost should have voice acting because of how much the cutscenes feel like uh like actual like story driven like they're not like the flashy oh this is like a cg thing and it's like meant to be slightly abstracted uh, yeah, the Foley in particular is, like, really distracting after playing the other Final Fantasies on this platform. Because mm-hmm. I think one of the things 8 does so well is how you cut to a cutscene and it's what's happening, but it does it in such a more, uh, like, this isn't real way you get the feeling of whatever battle is going on and it just allows itself to be more expressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are moments when 9 does that. There's um, the Eidolon fight in Alexandria is stunning. It's one of my favorite scenes in the game. Um as like a CG scene, uh, but they're few and far between, and mostly you just get here's a like a, a scene with these characters, but now they're in CG. Uh, and in the other direction, the thing this Final Fantasy introduces that is never picked up is the active time events, which are short vignettes with the characters that you currently aren't controlling. Like when everyone gets into town and like splits up and does their own thing, uh, you get to just see these scenes where the other people are going about their business. They're usually comedic, but sometimes they're like, you know, sometimes they can be whatever. Uh, um. <laughs> they're usually comedic unless they're Vivi's ones in the Black Mage Town, in which case they will make you cry every time. Uh, yeah, but they're meant to be these like moments to let you live with the characters outside of the force of the plot that uh, really fill them out. And you joked about Lost Odyssey, but Lost Odyssey takes this idea and like runs with it to the point where they literally wrote a bunch of short fiction that you find in the game, almost like ATEs. Uh, I, I don't think this is similar to Lost Odyssey. Like, the thing that this idea does to me is changes the way you interact with the idea of a town in an RPG. Like, there are so many moments where you come into a town, and so you see a scene, and it's somewhere you've not seen before, but it's where this person is and is going. So you then go to a scene and, like, recognize the background so you know you have to turn right because that's where they turned. And it just gives a more... Um, I don't know why I'm trying like how to phrase it, but there's a less one-to-one uh, relationship with the space in terms of your character. It feels like a th- thing where people have been through and you've seen these multiple angles and you're following the, on the trail of someone. Like I really like whenever the progression from screen to screen is more than just you exploring and has that context of I'm looking for this person or this person's come through here or I've seen it in this scene. Like there's so many moments like that and they're all really cool and really understated and (laughs) you're right, like there's such uh, intense like potential for narrative design that is never used ever again. Yeah, no, I I would love to see them like try this idea again and there's other RPGs that do this uh, in uh, Star Ocean 2, I think Star Ocean 1 has this also, uh, the second time you visit a town, not the first time, you basically, like, before you go into the town, like, on the world map, there's, like, a button to, like, split your party up when you get into town, and everyone kind of runs off, and then you can go and, like, hang out with them while they're doing whatever they do in the town. Um, 
And that's great because it'll, it requires you to like explore the town on your own the first time. And then the second time you're like, where would my mage be? And then go find them and you can go have a hangout scene that like, it's almost like the persona model of like spending time with someone to increase an S link, but like in the framework of an RP of, I guess persona is an RPG, but you know what I mean? A more traditional JRPG. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really good and reminds me of that. And this game, that game is kind of a contemporary of this one. I think it came out before nine, but I actually don't know. And I'm not going to look it up right now, but, uh, yep. Um, yeah, it's really, uh, a shame that they don't use it as much as they should. And in this game, I feel like it would, it would behoove them to use it more than they even do because a lot of characters in this game get really short shrift. And the thing that it does is like distances you from your main character being like you, the avatar, which is great. Cause, uh, I mean, we're, I want to run through the characters really fast, uh, but, uh, Zidane kind of sucks and I'd rather like, you not be considered him. Like, I wish this did the thing six did where like every character felt kind of like the main and or side characters, like where you could argue, Oh, this person isn't actually the main character, but no, Zidane's the main character in this game. And that sucks. And it, it, it doesn't feel like the game's written around him being the main character. Yeah. It definitely has the six problem where every character has so much going on and there's lots of interesting conflicts and arcs. And then the second half of the game happens and they kind of all stop. Yep. Um, it doesn't like fall apart in the second half in the way that six does at all. Like there's, they've built a full video game in a modern sense, mm-hmm. but it definitely loses focus. Like um, we'll get to the more specifics when we go through the characters, but like Steiner has a lot of, like there's lots of space for where, what would they be doing now? This like stuff has gone down and it, it's just, they're never really addressed. They're just part of your party. And I think that's a real shame. Yep. So let's do this. Let's start with Zidane. Yeah. Zidane is your, uh, he's got a monkey tail. He's a thief. He is the roguish thief. One of the most hilarious things doing research for this game is the Wikipedia flatly states that the director Hiroyuki Ito's contribution to Zidane was, what if he's womanizing? Which, like, Fuck talk about, <laughs> talk about, like, the laziest thing in the world to look at the anime protagonist and be like, what if he hits on women? What if? What if? Oh, I have never before had this question answered. <laughs> what if? Christ. That one sent... I'm, I'm taking it all back. I take everything nice back. Vivi sucks. Steiner sucks. It all sucks. Throw it in a garbage bin. They mi- mm. <laughs> <sighs> Like, Edgar's gross, but at least he's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Man. Alright. Carry on. Uh, so Zidane is like your roguish thief and he's flirtatious or whatever. Uh, one of the things like in a world in which every, uh, JRPG now is like rife with anime tropes that I, like, I don't mind about Zidane is like, because I, part of it is this game is like couched in like, like everyone's kind of like chibi and, uh, everything is kind of kitty and like, um, there's just something like very old school. Like this is just how animated stories work about it. Like even like, I think of like American cartoons more than I think of anime when I think of Zidane. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Where like the Han Solo character or like the fucking, um, like, uh, Bugs Bunny character always comes in and is sly and gets away with anything and like hits on the ladies and then bails. Like that's kind of his whole thing. Um, I know. And I hate it. Like that's a character archetype that I always hate. Yeah, and I think I would hate it in a game that was more realistic, but in this game, like, it's, it's like, annoying, but, like, I don't I don't react as strongly as you. Uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, he's one of these, whatever. Uh, because it feels so, like, of, it, of an era that doesn't exist anymore. Even yeah. though, like, when you think of it, like, in the terms of, like, oh, like, 
Persona 3 came out not too long after this game, it's like, oh, right, he's just an anime boy. Uh, and I played this game in, like, a pre-Final Fantasy being a thing I thought of as, like, anime. It's weird. Yeah, it's weird how a lot of this game and the reaction around it and, like, uh, Zidane's character especially um, comes out of a place where the idea of anime as a, a set of tropes and ideas hadn't been codified yet. Like, by 2007, that was set in stone. And, like, everyone knew what anime was as, like, a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was just Final Fantasy, right? Like, these were the big games that everyone liked. Like, it's why uh, so many people played um, MGS and, like, don't like anime, right? Whereas yeah. if those games... Ca- like, if any of these era of, like, Japanese games came out now, they would just be referred to as anime-ass games because they are. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, yeah, uh, my design feels... Um, I think the thing that irritated me more than the womanizing thing uh, is a thing that happens with a lot of protagonists in a lot of stories, and it's my one of my most hated tropes. And they, they do walk it back a bit, but for the first disc, this is the thing that just irritated me no end, which is where Zidane is like the moral center of the story. He's giving lessons to loads of characters. He's telling them what to do and uh, like teaching them how to be people. But he's an asshole about it all the time, and he has no real trauma of his own uh, at this point, and no real like lessons of his own that he's like learned. So he just comes off as the most insufferable like had a decent life dude telling all these sad people that they just need to cheer up and it irritates me no end like it's really like i i don't like i read it as like he's like totally like all he has is platitudes because he was raised by like boisterous leader of the band of thieves baku like there's no like the trauma is like his like lack of identity and like when he comes across it it like totally shakes him well, Where he, why, like, realizes I I am not, like, a, I'm just a bunch of, like, heroic ideals. I am not a human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, all that stuff later on uh, is pretty good. Um, but especially through the first act, like, you're, me- you're meant to sympathize with him and root for him during his dickish kind of, like, every time he fucks over Steiner, the game is written that you would be, like, uh, on the side of your cool hero guy, like that's because Steiner's a boob. Be. But we're not going to talk about Steiner yet. Sure, but I think it's important to know that like those kind of tropes don't play very well to me, at least. When Steiner as a character is a, a fucking boob, but he's a boob that you understand where he's coming from, and you are given nothing about Zidane until way later on. All his identity stuff is like comes later, and. This is, in some respects, my, like, Final Fantasy protagonist problem, because I didn't like Squall, uh, I didn't like Cloud, until his whole deal was revealed, and then I loved Cloud, and then I hated Squall, and then his whole deal was revealed, and then I came around on Squall over time. Less, like, it's a different thing, but, like, holding back the histories of these characters and expecting you to be on their side through their, like, heroic protagonist attitudes, I never mm. do that, so I'm always, like, through the first half of a Final Fantasy game, completely put off with how their storytelling is. So I wanted to move on to uh, Garnet because I think like my opinion of Zidane is totally informed by how he relates to Garnet. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the one thing I want to say before we get to that is the one thing I've always liked about because they're like played as like love interest, whatever. He's roguish and she's the princess, blah blah blah. Is uh, Z- Zidane's like agenda never overrides Garnet's agency in the story? Mm-hmm. Um, and I really appreciate that that's the way that they play it. Like, yeah. Garnet is meant... Like, Garnet ends up learning a lot from him, like, almost on accident. Like, things that he didn't even realize he was, like, imbuing her with that make her stronger. But 
everything like kidnapping her, like avoiding Steiner, like every time he like foils Steiner, it's not because he wants to foil Steiner. It's like, I mean, that's part of it, but it's because it's something that Garnet wants him to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, let, let's get rid of this fucking guy. We need to keep moving. And so he does it and he like makes a joke about it. And it's like, oh, Zidane's clever. He got smart him, but it's the thing that she told him to do because she is always the one that's in command. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think Garnet is great and should absolutely like, I wish this game did the Final Fantasy VI thing where she was questionably the main character because she is, as far as I'm concerned, the most interesting character in this game. By um, far. Uh, so uh, we're talking about Garnet. Uh, Garnet till Alexandros Seventeenth, which they say too many times, uh, who renames herself Dagger when she demands to be kidnapped and hides out with the <laughs> gang of thieves or whatever. It was absolutely hilarious scene where she's like, what's that? Oh, it's a knife. Uh, it's called a dagger. A dagger is a little short knife. Blah, blah, blah. That's it. I'm a dagger. Shut up, Zidane. <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, and, and she's great. Yeah, no, and she uh, like she's like, oh, my mother, my adopted mother's evil and I want to stop her and everyone tells her, no, she can't be evil. She's the queen. And she's like, no, look, she's blue. She's evil. Um <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out she's blue she's evil uh and she's a summoner it turns out that she like came from a summoning village and uh was taken when she was a young child or her mother escaped as like the summoner village was being ravaged and she washed up ashore and was adopted and blah 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 she has magical power she's like your white mage summoner and she's very cool and i like her a lot and a lot of that is because she has a lot of agency like so much of the plot is around what she wants and demands to do mm-hmm. um and everyone kind of acquiesces to that and uh i think that's great uh one of the worst like spinning its wheels parts of this game is where uh she has like a crisis of confidence and suddenly she can't speak and everyone's like what do we do uh, dagger's not around to like tell us what to do and then she has to like regain her sense of self and it's boring and bad it turns out when you lose the like central figure for driving the story nothing fucking happens for three hours and like her her story of like learning how to talk like a normal person because she lived in the castle all her life and like becoming confident and being able to speak up for herself like all that stuff is a more interesting character arc than suddenly having to give her like the conflict where like oh i don't believe in myself anymore because the plot happened and now i can't speak like they actually gave her an arc and they forgot that they did it and so they had to write like a really contrived one for like a half an hour yeah, like her arc is so good because it is in like it's where the ATEs really shine because it's just moments that happen to her that inform her character. There is like parts of the plot where a thing will happen that is momentous and that'll change her character and you know capital W writing. But they do they do so much of it by just she goes into a shop and she tries to like talk like the, the country folk do, but then it ends up curtsy on her way out and she'll go to an auction house and completely fuck up that, but in be better about it now. And it's um, just really cool to see this character grow in actual things that are not just the crystals did the thing and it's your fault nebulously kind of, but not really. Mm-hmm. Like Final Fantasy is often so big in how it handles its characters and their feelings that seeing all these arcs be played out in just scenes of humans uh interacting with each other is uh the, the like the the core strength of nine i think as a game mm-hmm. dagger's good yeah so let's talk about old rusty himself oh, steiner rusty. captain of the knights of pluto the best comic relief character in all of final fantasy i love steiner he's an he- idiot 
Yes, no, he is he is your bluster. He like he's C three PO if C three PO is like a bruiser. Like he's the he's just a goof and he's constantly overprotective and the most dadly, but in the dumbest way possible. And he's great, uh, and consists to be shat upon by literally every other character in the game. Like that's what they do to Steiner. Oh, poor St- he goes in to buy some armor and also like look for someone, and they think he has to buy armor because his armor is so shit. But he doesn't, like, change it. <laughs> That's yep. just who he is. He's the Knight of the Rounds. Yep. Yeah. What an idiot. Uh, what a fucking yeah, idiot. Steiner's great. Uh, unfortunately, uh, aside from his comedic relief, Steiner has, like, zero arc outside of he spends most of the first half of the game going, oh, the queen can't possibly be evil. She's the queen. And then being like, oh, no, the queen was evil. I can't believe this happened. So that was my thing with Steiner is that I really like that as a concept for a character because I'm like, oh, I know exactly where this goes and what happens after that is such a blank space that could go anywhere and they give up. Nope. <laughs> They're like, oh, we can't deal with that. He's just fine. He's just like, he'll, he wants to fuck Beatrix, I guess. Yep, there's the there's the beautiful moment at the beginning of disc three where there's like a comedy of errors oh. romance <laughs> moment oh with... Uh, with the letters and Beatrix and Steiner and Iko and everybody, uh, that is one of the shining moments of this game in terms of like what I wish more Final Fantasies were funny, uh, because it's really well done. But it is uh, one of my favorite moments in Final Fantasy. Full stop. Like it just goes for something that they never do, and they especially never do now that they talk. Yep. Uh, it's just some like there's a love letter who go who's like trying to get from. Steiner to no no it's trying to get from Dagger Iko. to Zidane. No, Iko writes the letter. Oh no, Zidane. Iko right. Iko's writing it to Zidane, but then Steiner drops it and someone else gets it and like Blank is involved. And, yep. <laughs> and it just culminates in the scene where there's six characters all hiding behind different objects <laughs> as this letter is in this love letter is in the middle. Like they come to the place where they like say they should go and one arrives and then they hear someone else coming and then they hide behind an object and that happens five times in a row and it ends with Steiner and Beatrix almost making out but like being interrupted by more ludicrous comedy it's so good yeah uh unfortunately that's like the end of Steiner as an important character (sighs) yeah because Beatrix stays behind and Steiner just like I guess I keep doing what the queen says I'm your I'm your fighter character I'm really good at it but that's all I do yep so let's talk about everybody's favorite Final Fantasy IX character, Avivi, the Black Mage. Beautiful, sad, magical child. I love he. Everybody loves Vivi. Yep. Uh, Vivi, Vivi's your Black Mage. Uh, he finds out early on in the game that Black Mages are like constructed out of mist. And uh, they are mostly like controlled by Kuja's an army, but he was like a weird prototype uh, which means that he has more personality and looks like a child and lives longer because the problem with the Black Mages is that they stop after a year. Um, and they, the Black Mages didn't know this until all of a sudden some of them started stopping and everyone was afraid. And the Black Mages are like, what does it mean that we stop? And uh, can we start again? And Vivi's like, no, that's dying. This is the worst. And uh, most of the game is you trying to comfort your sad, magical child that he's going to die soon. Imagine being a kid, being literally nine years old, discovering first that you are not alone, and then finding like a place of people who are like you and like where you feel like you're at home, 
and then having to te- tell them all that they are all going to die in a year. Yeah, no, because they are actually more childlike than you are. Yeah, because they don't actually understand what death is, and you, a nine-year-old, have to explain to them your only like link to who you are, that they are going to waste away. And it's, it's, it is unfair how much better than the rest of the game this stuff is. Yep. Because, like, conceptually, it's so much sadder than any of the melodrama that goes on in Final Fantasy. And it's just off to the side. It's just a thing about one of your party members. And it's heartbreaking. I love it. I love Vivi. He's so, yep. he's so good. And Vivi is the one that gets, like, actual, like, plot all the way up to the end. Because the end of the story is Vivi's children, because at some point they must have figured out how to make black mages again, coming to the play and like Vivi monologuing, uh, like presumably Vivi has already like died. Oh, this is all this stuff that happened. And I'm glad my friends could have taught me these things and I could pass it on. It's so good. Yeah. What you left out about how that scene actually goes down, which is the opening of the game is Vivi trying to see the play. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, and it's such a cute opening. And he's like, oh, I've got a, I've got a ticket. Oh, my ticket was fate. Oh, okay. I'll follow you up this ladder. That's how Vivi talks. And um, <laughs> the uh, ending of the game just begins with the exact same scene of Vivi walking up and then like talking to someone. And then they're like, oh, Vivi, how are you? What's going on? And the black mage is like, I'm not Vivi. What? Hello? What are you talking about? And then they like pans to the right, and suddenly nine Vivis walk past. Yep. <laughs> and we're like, we're Vivi's sons. <laughs> yep. So good. Yeah. The sons of Vivi. Nope. <laughs> <sighs> the price of Fidical Prodigy. So I've been like, uh, sitting on that joke the entire time and actively not making it. Fuck you. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, and then we have Final Fantasy's only canonically genderqueer character, Kina. Kina's great. Kina's a coup, which means that they're a giant clown person who just wants to eat and have adventures, which, same. After such incredible besmirching of the characters of people who are both big and blue, <laughs> they finally make it up in everyone's favorite uh, just just wants to eat. Yep. All they the want is to eat food. Beautifully, blissfully zen, a non-binary fat character in Final Fantasy. I love them so much. They yeah, just no. want... They, like, And the way that they just want to eat food is like, it's not portrayed as the usual, haha, they keep eating joke. It's like, I am caring about this thing and this is the way that I can experience the world and it means that I have a reason to keep going and see these places and there's always things for me to enjoy and it's treated as like, no, you need to stop caring about the big stuff because you can just eat, you you can go somewhere and you can eat something new and isn't that enough? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Kina's reactions to everything that happened in the game, because Kina seems mostly unaware of the actual plot happening around them, is some of the best comedy in the game that isn't re- revolved around Steiner. Yep. Uh, including thinking that the, uh, uh, like, Terra, when you go to Terra, Kina hates Terra because everything tastes bad, uh, because it's all like a weird, like, Giger nightmare nonsense place. Mm-hmm. And the implication is Kina's just been running around tasting everything. Uh, Kina constantly drifts in and out of the party, seemingly of their own volition. Just like, oh, I guess I got lost and now I'm here. Hello. What's there to eat? Um, and also in one of maybe the best 
uh, most adorable epi- uh, things in the game, Kina and Vivi get married. <laughs> they do! Kina and Vivi totally get married! Uh, because at one point, to get through uh, Condipete, uh, you have to... Like, the only way to get through is if the, there's, like, a bunch of dwarves there, and they're like, you have to be married to go past this gate. And so Zidane's like, well, I don't know, I mean... Maybe Dagger could... Dagger's like, yeah, we'll get married. And so they immediately get married, uh, and Zidane is all blushing because Zidane is all bluster. And Dagger's like, let's just get this done. And so they're married, and they cross. And then the other two characters that you have are Vivi and Kina, and they go through the marriage thing in, like, a uh, QTE, and it's... A QT, uh, what is it? Uh, sorry. ATE. Yes. Uh, and it's adorable because they are both professed being happy to be married. Uh, and I, it is the weirdest, most, like earnest like adorable bit of comedy in all of that game it's great because there are so many ways that the entire concept of here's a town which to leave you have to get married could go so wrong (laughs) and in all ways it like lands totally fine like the joke is that uh dagger's totally okay with all of it because if we've got to do this meaningless thing in order to get going let's just get over with and done and zidane's having a meltdown because he's a child yep uh and then um, Vivi and Kina are just, I guess we're doing this. Oh, hello, friend. And then they just leave, and that's it. <laughs> yep. It's it's great. It's very good. I, um... So, next character is everyone's favorite Batman, Freya. Ah, I think you mean the girlfriend of Sir Fratley. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do not. Oh, no, so Freya don't... is, uh, because this is like a weird fantasy world, but it's from Japan, there's like anthropomorphic animal people all over the place. Uh, and Freya is a Burmesian, which means she's a rat person. And uh, she is also basically Kane from Final Fantasy IV because she's a dragoon and she broods a lot and she's like a dragon knight and that means she jumps on rooftops and is broody there about her boyfriend who sucks and nobody cares about outside of her and even she seems to mostly forget about him through most of the game. Yep. She's Sir great. Fratley's dumb and Sir Freya's Fratley better than sucks. everything that happens to her because she gets nothing to do in this entire game. Oh, it's such a shame because... Freya's like main contribution to character in this game is making me hate Zidane less because for the start of the game, disc one, Zidane is entirely just like, oh, I've got to get with Dagger or blah, 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 I'm the cool hero. And then Dagger and Zidane are separated and uh, you're with Freya for a bit in your party. And the way like Freya uh, is able to control this stupid boy and well, like, like lead this party and that he's like oh i'm here's someone that i actually have a good relationship with as a human without wanting to fuck them like it's it's good to see the way uh in which like freya's introduction into the story changes all the dynamics i really like that about her i wish she had anything to do I mean, from, like, her maybe her actual best scene is, like, her introduction where Zidane walks in the bar and Freya's there. And she's yeah. like, oh, Zidane, long time no see. And then she, uh, she's like, oh, do you remember my name? And he, like, rattles off a bunch of, like, girls' names, even though he clearly knows who she is. Yeah. Because, like, clearly, like, he, like, tried to hit on her and she shut him down. And now he feels, like, all affronted about it. And she knows that and mostly just, like, shoves him aside again. It's just, like... You get why Zidane's like that, because everyone in that world who's, like, kind of a roguish knight person is like that. They're just, like, cool and quippy. And it, like, it, it evokes a cooler story than the actual story of this game in that moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and then, like, two scenes later, she's standing on the rooftops. 
yep. uh, watching the city, like, thing, like I can feel the winds change. I must, uh, like, move towards my homeland and protect them. Like, it's the coolest shit. And then all she does is go, Sir Fratley, why? Yep. Sir Fratley sucks. <laughs> so let's just pretend that he never existed and that Freya's story never went anywhere. Because it didn't. It didn't, really. <laughs> Uh, so that leaves us with two more characters, one that matters and one that doesn't. First off, we have Aiko, who's the character that matters. I love Aiko. Aiko is a... She's six or is she nine? She's, she's six. young. She's six. She is a summoner. She, no, she's like, seven. Uh, her entire village has been destroyed, and so she lives in the summoner village with a bunch of Mughals, uh, who clearly don't know what to do with this, like, brusque young girl who is, like, the most belligerent anime character uh, and it, and when Zidane and Khrushchev, she instantly falls for the hero and is like, I'm going to marry him. And, like, decides that, like, uh, Dagger's like a threat and it has to be dealt with. And it's the dumbest, but, like, very earnest and feels like it's like its own anime trope, but it kind of also just feels like a thing that little kids do. And it works really well. Yeah, it's incredibly anime, but because this came before, like, if there's a lot of stuff here that could go wrong but it, it feels much like a lot of this game uh propelled by its own earnestness mm-hmm. uh in a way that really saves it like Aiko is just a character who believes in all these things and is totally gonna get to Dan even though that would be disastrous even if she wasn't six <laughs> yep and hijinks ensue yeah uh I am I'm a sucker for like not annoying. I guess, like, part of this is because this is pre-voice acting, but, like, not annoying bossy child characters are great, and mm. uh, she works really well. Oh, I hadn't even, until that sentence, imagined what uh, Ico voice acting would be like. It'd be terrible. It would be the worst. It would be the worst. It'd kill the whole thing dead. Yep. And then we have the character that nobody cares about, Amarant. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I <laughs> forgot he existed. Yeah, Amarant is... Is your like monk character? He's like a weird. I don't. I, I don't know what he is, but he's clearly not human. He's like, what if the Joker were like a street tough? He is all. His deal is like, I have been hired to kill you, so I will do that. But also, I've got all these like incredibly specific tropey warrior values, and then I was spared by the person who defeated me even though they should have killed me and now I need to follow them to understand why and you've blah 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 you've seen this one before yeah no, the, the, one of the things that's really interesting is like when we talked about six we talked about how like different writers took on different characters and like wrote their side stories and like Amrant feels like he fell out of one of those side stories yes and was put into this game where he totally didn't belong. I don't understand why he's here. Because everything he has to do has nothing to do with the plot. It doesn't, like, evolve Zidane any, like, much. Uh, and just feels like like the weird OVA anime version of a story like this. Yeah, but also... Like, like he, he he's has... literally he's literally fucking Andy from that Cowboy Bebop episode. He 100% is. That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> Like, he's totally just, like, fake version of the hero, but not at all. Uh, and exists to, like, f- compete with Zidane's philosophy, but not really. You just have a guy with your party who kind of fucks off sometimes and is mad at you, but not really. It's yep. weird. It's yeah, weird. Yeah, it's weird. 
Yeah, no, I, I just, like, I get why you think that's, like, a good idea, but he has nothing to do with the game. Like, he exists to fill a space, basically. Mm-hmm. They should have put Beatrix in that spot. They really... Why is... I assumed that Beatrix was going to be a full party member, but then she just stays behind. No, she's way too cool to hang out with you and your, the rest of you assholes. She is, but then she's, like, getting with Steiner. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Which... One, Beatrix, I'm gonna say, Beatrix, probably not straight. <laughs> Two, Beatrix would, like, definitely not get with Steiner. It is hilarious, but I'm just saying here, my head cannons are strong. No, Beatrix and Steiner both are not straight. They are, like, the gay commanders of their knights uh, of all that are all gender separated. I just, I... It's just one of those things where the the game is cool and evokes really specific nice things, but when it gets to like touching that stuff, you're like, no, you don't understand what you've made. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, which is very anime. <laughs> Maybe the most anime of all. Yeah. Which is a shame. Like I, it's weird because like I people really love nine, especially if you played it at the time. And like if you weren't into eight, like a lot of people really glommed onto nine, especially VV. Like VV is a fan favorite for a reason. Like all this stuff's really well written, and he's like a really sympathetic character. Um, and like nine's like a really nice game. Like it's most of it is very pleasant, and it's not like super difficult, and it's not like weird in the way that like eight is a really weird game a lot of times. Um, but when, like you said early on, like it feels like they got so confident in making this game, like it kind of feels a little paint by numbers, mm-hmm. and it's hard to like really feel enthused as like we come into game five of our Final Fantasy quest, Mystic Quest. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a callback. That's a yeah. callback. <laughs> um, yeah, it, 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 like I like this game a lot when it came out. Like I played it when it was new. I bought this game on day of release. I still have my copy, but. Man, replaying it was a real letdown. Like I, f- like this game has a re- is like I feel like this game is really good in the first half. Like it goes up to like the end of disc two and like Garnet's crowned queen, and you're like, oh, like these these storylines have resolved kind of neatly. Like all the best comedy stuff has happened aside from that letter thing that's right at the beginning of disc three, and like it might as well be over. And then like the rest of it happens. You're like, man, this this you did this because it's a Final Fantasy game and you had to do this stuff, but it's not what I'm here for, and it doesn't do it better than the other games that did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the parts where it's a Final Fantasy game are incredibly paint by numbers. E like all the stuff with Terra and even Zidane's like secret identity and the other world and the eventual reveal of a needless uh, nihilism god or whatever. Like mm-hmm. there's just why yep. like i've done this before there's no need for these characters to be doing it they've learned their lessons and had their arcs on such a smaller scale than this that yep. it feels and especially after in in two ways after eight like as like where it sits in actual chrono- chronological order which ties those two sides of the game so like probably tighter than any other uh of these rpgs um uh and then also for us, after playing, going back and playing the SNES games, which is trying to emulate, which can handle this kind of scope much better on that level of just fidelity and speed and time and everything. Uh, and so on both levels, it's just an imitation of something that came before, but better and kind of mashed up with a lot of amazing moments. But there's nothing as a whole that would make like elevate it. Yeah. It's a, it's a real bummer. 
interestingly, and a perfect example of artists have no idea what their best art is, both Sakaguchi and Uematsu cite this game as their favorite work. Uematsu? Yeah. He's like, this is my favorite soundtrack. What? what? Yeah. <laughs> I know. What? Um. Yeah, no, it's weird. And uh, interesting about him specifically is, like, he was... This is his last, like, this is his last game as a Square Enix employee, because he went off to do the thing all Japanese composers do, which is make his own company and then continue to work on the video games. Mm -hmm. um, and he was basically only, like, uh, hired to do, like, main character themes, like a battle theme, maybe, like, a main theme, and that was it, and ended up writing, like, 140 pieces of music for this game, because the Final Fantasies require lots of music. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like when you look at this and you look at like the kind of music he makes and like the black mages and stuff, like I can see it. Like this is, this is like a weird experiment. Like a lot of times there's like a weird experimenting with like sampling and like weird instrumentation in this game. Like a lot of the musical choices are really strange in this game. Um, and to the point where like when you're on uh, Terra and like Zidane has like his weird conflict, there's like this like super crazy guitar solo theme for his like sad moment of realization. Yeah, there uh, is. Which I actually think is like one of the better songs in the soundtrack. I like it a lot, but it, it speaks to like an evolving sense of the kind of music that like a composer would have wanted to make that is not traditional video game music that I think goes into like the stuff that happens in like 10 where you get thrashing rock themes for no particular reason other than let's make something new and different. Yeah. Uh, like, it's not surprising Omatsu made his own metal band of Square Enix composers, right? No, that's the least surprising move. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think I think you see, like, a lot of the choices that lead to that in this soundtrack, even though the soundtrack has a lot of, like, uh, very, like, lo-fi. Like, there's a lot of, like, flutes and strings and very old... Like, it feels like someone who wasn't beholden to what you need to do to write, like, uh, symphonic classical western scores like took a bunch of weird instruments and then tried to make one of those scores out of them mm -hmm. uh and so it ends up feeling kind of silly and jaunty and uh like i almost want to say disposable which isn't the right word but it feels like trivial in a way that like i could imagine him having a lot of fun making the soundtrack to this game well i would say it doesn't like feel cohesive as a score and yeah. especially the way that like six, which is a game this is trying to emulate a lot, does like that's got the most cohesive score of a Final Fantasy game. It literally ends with all the themes coming together in one super theme. Like, yeah. Whereas this is uh, people's themes will just be in wildly different styles because why not, right? This is just what the game is. Yeah, uh, and like I could see a creator being like, I much prefer when I got to fuck around and make like twenty different things and glue them all together than when I had to write an opera for my video game. And I can understand why Sakaguchi would think it's his favorite, as all he did was say, make a video game, and some other people made it. <laughs> I think it has to be a little more involved than that, because um, he basically made this exact same game again with Lost Odyssey. He did. He did do that. Yep. But he was off killing Square. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That is not going to be a stop on our journey. We should have watched Spirits of the End before. Maybe we'll do that before 10, because that, that's like around that time, right? Yeah, that's right before 10. No, it's right after 10. Have you seen Spirits Within? I have once. Okay. Yeah, I saw it in theaters. I've seen it a couple times since then. It's all right. It's fine. I, I was like, this could be a lot better. But yeah. It's weird how much, like, the, like, really bland uh, trooper men, like, fighting weird glowy monsters evokes a bunch of video games that were run roughshod over the late aughts of video games. It's... 
it's like a terrifying prediction of what will happen to Japanese like video game companies in a lot of ways. Yeah. Western ones too. Sure, but the specific like that game looks like late two thousand Japanese video games in its animation. Yeah, no, it does. It really like, does. Everyone's got the rubbery face. Yep. Looks like it was animated on a PS3. Like it's kind of amazing. I mean, when we, uh, I know it's fun to rag on Mass Effect, and we're not here to do that, really, but when I looked at Andromeda, the thing I thought first was, man, this kind of looks like Spirited Away. <laughs> or Spirits Within, not Spirited <laughs> Away, sorry. I wish it looked like Spirited Away. Oh, imagine someone saying a Mass Effect game reminded them of Spirited Away. <laughs> oh, I would, I would play Mass Effect again if that was the case. Yeah, and then you'd be like, fuck off, this isn't true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't play... Or I mean, I played a little bit of Nino Kuni. I was like, this game sucks. So I guess it's like, they already tried that. I didn't like it. Yeah, well, now they've replaced Spirited... Uh, Sp now they've replaced Studio Ghibli with Horny. So, Nino yeah. Kuni 2 coming soon. Yeah. I mean, Breath of the Wild exists. That's basically a Ghibli game in everything, but we hired Ghibli to do it. We didn't need to. We're Nintendo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've stopped talking about Final Fantasy IX, so I think... That's it. That, We're done. That brings this Dissidia to an end. Oh. <laughs> Why do you do this to me? Look, I wasn't going to do any callbacks, but then you did the other one, so I had to search into my brain for okay. Final Fantasy words. And what Final Fantasy word could be better and worse than Dissidia? Uh, just wait until you play like Kingdom Hearts and two, and uh, Vivi's there and has a voice actor, and it's not no, good. No, no, no! I'm never playing that game. I was and like, Vivi's not in it very long. Oh, they gave him a voice. Yep, Zidane and Vivi are both the voice characters in Dissidia. Yeah, I, I already know what Zidane sounds like because <laughs> yeah, well. I've seen an anime before. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> He's just Naruto. Yes. Believe it. Yep. What if we gave Naruto a Goku tail? I guess that's exactly what they did, even though they didn't know it at the time. <laughs> oh. We're done here. we do questions for the segment but we didn't ask for any so nobody gave us any um how dare they yeah i know <laughs> all on them 
Uh, <laughs> if you want to send us questions, you can send it to podcast at normalmapping.com. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And uh, we'll answer them. Or you hit us up on Twitter, of course. Um, next month, we are playing Pikmin 3 for the Wii U. Uh, that's a Nintendo game, if you didn't know. Um, we're, I mean, if you, like, if you don't have a Wii U, and why would you? Nobody has a Wii U. Uh, we're we're going to be talking about... I mean, you could probably just put in a different Pikmin game and get the same result, because they're all kind of the same thing. And it's not like Pikmin are story games. So, you know, if you just want to hear us talk about how beautiful... Uh, like microphotography of fake plants is we will have your back next month. So please enjoy that. Play along if you've got it. If not, that's all right. Like you're not gonna, you know, these are meant to be listened to whether you've played the game or not. That's always the goal. Um, and, uh, please enjoy our website. It's up by now. Um, if it's not up yet, very soon will be me and Jackson's other podcast. Uh, which is Second Officer Slog, which we're very excited to share with people. It is a Star Trek book club podcast uh, in which we talk about episodes that we choose of the shows, um, and then we talk about a book, uh, and we try to explain it so you don't have to read it. Uh, so they're they're meant to be listened to even if you don't read Star Trek books. As long as you don't care about the spoilers at the end of DS9, you should listen to the podcast. Because yeah, we are. assume that if you're listening to the books... Or to us talk about the books, you need to you know what happened in Star Trek. They are us describing to you in a way that means you don't have to read thousands of books what happens in the post TV series, post Nemesis book universe. We're not at post Nemesis yet, Jackson. Yeah, look, but the, everyone calls it the post-Nemesis universe, even though it starts before Nemesis because it's Star Trek, so everything's very confusing, and that's why you need us to guide you. Yep, it's before before. Leaving. You can find Jackson at Head Falls Off. You can find me at em underscore being on Twitter. Check out abnormalmapping.com for this and any other shows. There's a podcast network there now. It's still growing, but it's there. Uh, come back next month. Check out YouTube. Jackson's playing Ninja Gaiden and Mega Man. I'm playing Sam and Max, and uh, we'll be playing the Eternal House trilogy soon. Uh, please enjoy that and come back next month for more. I uh, hope you had a good time. Peace out. Bye. Bye.